Good morning. Well, I am so thankful for Craig's idea that we visit um, restaurants. We've been um, just talking about what our priorities are going to be this year. And just I'll tell you what they are. You'll be hearing more about these. But one of them is that we're going we're gonna to return to normal. And that doesn't necessarily mean we're not going to social distance, not wear masks. But we're going to move away from just this layer that kind of hinders what we do in ministry. And we're going to take all the precautions that we can take. But we are going back to the things that God has called us to do this year. We're not going to have things on hold. And we're just going to trust that, you know, people that need to stay home, they'll stay home. And that people can be apart will be apart. But we're moving forward. So we're going to return to normal. The other thing that we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to consider um, what are ways that we can encourage people to use their gifts and function in the church. Um, to use, and so that's another thing that we'll be doing. And, and over this last year, there's a lot of people serving, using their gifts, functioning and doing things that are of eternal significance that have kind of been on hold. And so this year we're going to work on people plugging in and using their gifts. And the other thing that we're going to work on is meeting needs reaching out and taking care of people in our church, in our community, and in the world. And so we just kind of came up with those. And then Craig had this idea about restaurants, which I just think is so awesome. And it's awesome because it reminds us not to think about ourselves. And it's awesome because it reminds us that God intends us to be a spiritual influence in our world. There was a Christian college that um, the, the whole Christian college adopted this Thai food restaurant. And so um, they would go there and they would eat there and the, the business owner appreciated the financial support that came from this Christian college. They just noticed there's all these people coming to, our re- to this restaurant and they noticed it and they appreciated it because people said, hey, we're here from this college. And everybody who went there was praying for that owner who did not know the Lord and everybody who went there was praying, okay, how can I share the gospel? What's an opportunity? And they would make friends and they would start conversations. And, and I remember one, one person was talking to that Thai food restaurant owner and saying, hey, I noticed you have a Buddha up there. And uh, you put rice up there for him. You put food up there for him. Why doesn't he eat it? And, um, and everybody was sharing the gospel. And that business owner heard the gospel. And so I'm praying that for our church, as we do that, that it'll remind us that people need the gospel. It will remind us that we're supposed to be communicating that to them and that there will be a testimony of Foothills Church in Rancho Santa Margarita. Now, when we look at our passage this morning, it's going to remind us how important that mindset is in life. So our title this morning is uh, Wretched or blessed, wretched or blessed. You'll see where that comes from a little later, but you know, some people, some people think that they're wretched, and we're gonna find some people in this story, they think they're wretched, they think they're in trouble, but the reality is they are blessed. And then there's another group of people who feel pretty good about themselves, they don't feel wretched, they feel like they're blessed, but the truth is they are wretched. And Jesus is going to help them see it. So this morning as we read this passage, um, there's, there's a couple important layers here. One is that this is personal. These are things that you and I need to think about. We need to evaluate our own spiritual standing before the Lord. And we need to recognize 
that if other people, if the Pharisees in Jesus' day, the religious leaders in Jesus' day, if they could be self-deceived, that could happen to us too. And so we need to personalize this. Um, Even if we are, we genuinely know the Lord, we are not self-deceived. We need a reminder about the nature of salvation and what it means that we follow Christ, what he's done for us. So there's a personal element to this story, but there's also, it should impact the way we view other people. We need to recognize that our world is in this place. There are many people who, well, maybe we're not confused, but there's a lot of other people that are confused. And God intends for us to love people, to talk to them, and to share the gospel. So th- those are like kind of, those are both in a sense personal. It's about you, and it's about how you should view the world and your life. But the other thing that's happening in these parables is it actually communicates something to us about God's plan in history. And there's a big picture that's happening there too. Jesus is in his last week of ministry. He's ridden into Jerusalem, and they've shouted Hosanna. And now in this week, Jesus is, is preaching, and he's doing things. And within a week, he's going to be executed and killed. And so this, if you think about it, this week is going to be Jesus emphasizing his message, really, that's been a part of his whole ministry and, and the things that he says here, when a person's about to die, they tell you the most important things. And so we need to be paying attention carefully to the things that happen in this week of Jesus' life. And there's also something else here. This is actually part of what explains to us what happened to Israel and where did the church come from. And uh, that's one of the things that we're going to see is happening in this week. And so we'll see a little piece of that. There, that's a, there's a bigger story in that regard, but we'll see a small one. So this is pretty important. We're going to look at two parables. The first one emphasizes belief. It emphasizes the opportunity for belief. And, and we're going to see in this parable one group of people who have an opportunity for belief, and they believe. And another group of people who have the same opportunity for belief, and they don't believe. And then even after the other people believe, that was another opportunity, and they still don't believe. So it's actually about opportunity and missed opportunity. And then the second parable that Jesus tells really emphasizes how critical it is that people believe and that they don't miss the opportunity to believe. It is a pronouncement of judgment on the nation of Israel, but it is a personal pronouncement of judgment on people who don't believe. And so as we see this, there's these two parables, they're, they're powerful. And uh, Jesus told these two parables, and that's an important thing for us to understand. Now in the context, these are offensive. They're going to be offensive to the chief priests and the religious leaders. And, uh, but I'll tell you what, even though it's an offensive message to them, I think about the Ninevites from last week. Jonah showed up preaching an offensive message, and that was another opportunity. And so in this, the Pharisees, they missed the first opportunity. They missed the second opportunity. And this parable, that was a third opportunity, and they missed that too. Um. You know, so 
just in the context, Jesus, he's come into the temple, he's cleansed the temple, and, um, and then he's, he's gone on to do some more ministry, but Jesus goes into the temple, and while he's in the temple, he's teaching, and so this is just like the setting, and the arrogance of the religious leaders in this whole situation just really stand out. So in Matthew chapter 21, verse 23, which is right before we get here, so if you have your Bibles, go there. It just says, when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? And we talked about that last week, the authority, or a couple weeks ago, the authority of Jesus. And here you have these Pharisees coming up saying to Jesus, hey, who gave you this authority? And obviously Jesus had the authority because he did whatever he wanted and there was nothing that they could do about it but they're gonna question his authority. But there's another element when you think about this, who Jesus is. Jesus is God himself. He is the great teacher. And he walks into his temple and he starts teaching. And the religious leaders, they don't show up and quietly listen and say, okay, this is wisdom. Let me soak this in. Let me hear this. Let me learn this. They interrupt Jesus while he is teaching and they ask him a question. And then Jesus actually responds to them by, he totally dominates them without even answering their question. He gets them to silence themselves. And uh, now in this, he's going to ask them, he's going to tell a couple parables, and he's going to ask him a couple more questions. And this time, they're going to get excited and answer. And that's going to be to their own destruction as well. So let's look at this passage. Uh, let's read it. Matthew chapter 21, verse 28. What do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and he said, Son, go work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. <laughs> that should get your attention. If you're a parent, does that ever happen to you? I'm sorry for interrupting this story. Uh, let me start over. Um, he said, son, go work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and he went. And he went to the other son and he said the same. And he answered, I'll go, sir. But he did not go. And then Jesus is going to ask the question of them. He says, which of the two did the will of his father? And they said the first. And Jesus said to him, to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your minds and believe him. Now, when you think about this parable, uh, the first thing it's important for us to just understand the purpose of parables. You know, parables were to hide truth. Jesus could have stole, told that story, and without explanation, you wouldn't really know what does that mean. And so it's this great story. It's this wonderful explanation and illustration. But unless somebody connects the dots, it could mean anything. And as Jesus was telling parables, he often would not explain it to the religious leaders. He would just tell these parables and walk away. And that was part of God's judgment 
because they were listening, they were hearing plain teaching, and because they rejected it, Jesus said, from now on, I'm actually going to tell you the truth, but I'm going to tell it to you in a way you can't understand. And then what we would have from Scripture is that the disciples later would say, hey, Jesus, can you explain this to me? And that's what happens. Now, this is interesting. This is the last week of Jesus' life, and he starts telling parables, but who does he explain them to? He gives these religious leaders another chance, and he actually explains the meaning to them. Now, when we consider this illustration, this, this is like just one of those common things that happens in life. And it's interesting to see even the way Jesus tells the story. Uh, any, have any of you been a kid and your, one of your parents has asked you to do something and you've said no? Or have you ever had a kid and you asked them to do it and they said no? Um, that didn't happen very often in my house. Uh, it did happen. I do remember once. It happened with Jessica. And uh, she was a little kid, and I was teaching her to clean her room. And I said, uh, hey, Jessica, um, can you go please go pick up your toys? And, and her room was so full of toys. It was just like this overwhelming thing. And I thought, I'm going to sit here, and I'm going to help her learn how to accomplish this really difficult task. And so I said, Jessica, can you please pick up your toys? And she looked at me and said, no, I don't want to pick up my toys. So I walked over, whack, and then I went and sat down on the bed, and I said, Jessica, will you please go pick up your toys? And she was just crying, and she said, yes, Dad. That's the way we functioned in our house. My kids didn't say no to me. And you know, actually, from a spiritual perspective, it wasn't about me. Part of training and teaching kids is you teach them about authority and I was training and teaching my kids that in your life, um, the, what you've learned about authority toward me is actually something you need to know about God's authority. See, I don't want my kids, when they're older, thrown into some you know, ocean by God and to be drowned. I want to try to help them before they get there. But there are kids who say no. And one of the things that we want to emphasize here is we can have a tendency to think that the kid who said no was the good kid and the kid who said yes and didn't do it was a bad kid. That's not true. These are both bad kids. Have you ever had a kid who has told you yes and then just didn't do what you said? So that's also bad. And in some ways, you know, on a practical level as a parent, it could be worse. So your kids say no, you know there's a problem that needs to get resolved. But when your kid says, oh, yeah, sure, I'll do that, you plan that they'll do it, you go on to whatever else you're doing, and it never gets done. So Jesus just takes this common occurrence, and he talks about it, but then he's going to give a spiritual understanding and meaning to this passage. And here's the key thing, and it's something significant about this first son, is that it says, but afterward he changed his mind. You know, that is the concept behind repentance. Remember when people said, hey, what must I do to be saved? And Peter said, repent. So he changed his mind and he went and did what he was told. And uh, it's interesting when Jesus answers, asks this question, he helps the Pharisees get the right answer. If he would have said, hey, which was the better kid? You know, I, I could see some different responses to that. 
Which was the better kid? The kid who said no, but then did it? Well, I mean, hey, it's better. I mean, at least the kid changed his mind and he did. I mean, I don't know. On the other hand, it's pretty rude and disrespectful for a kid to look at his mom or dad and just say no. That's pretty bad. But you know what? Later he changed his heart. But that other kid, see, he was not that disrespectful. He didn't just tell his dad no. Uh, He said yes. So that was way more respectful. That was much better. But then on the other hand, he actually never did what his dad asked him to do. See, Jesus could have said which kid was better, and that might have been a hard question to answer. But instead, Jesus asks a question that they will get the answer to right. It's simple. It's the only answer. Which kid did the will of his father? And the Pharisees are like, I got this one. This one I know the answer to. It's the one who said no and then went out and changed his mind and did what he was told. And now Jesus comes down with the spiritual significance. And he tells the Pharisees, I tell you the truth that the prostitutes and the tax gatherers are going to get into the kingdom of God before you. Now, here's something I want you to remember. Um, This parable right here is only told in Matthew. What do you remember about Matthew? He's a tax collector. The other gospel writers, man, they didn't record this, but Matthew recorded this because this was about him. So they get the right answer. And uh, Jesus is going to tell them their problem. It says this, For John came to you in the way of righteousness. Now, he, had, they, he asked them, remember, was John's baptism from heaven or from man? And they wouldn't answer it. And Jesus comes back and says, Well, let me just tell you. John came in the way of righteousness. His baptism was from heaven. And you did not believe him. You know, there's something significant there. John was a preacher of righteousness, and they ignored that preacher of righteousness. Now, this is, a, this is something that you and I need to think about. When faithful people come preaching God's word, you do not ignore them. That, that is a devastating thing when we approach life and God sends a righteous person to preach a righteous message and you disregard it. That, that has terrible consequences. And the Pharisees did that, and John just, he just tells them, yeah, John preached righteousness, and you didn't believe him. That was bad for you. And the people that you view as far worse than yourself, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they did believe. Now, I think we can get confused sometimes when we think about the, this story. And we can start to think that religious people are bad. And those sinners, man, they're just real. Man, they're going through things. They're sinning. They're doing bad things, but they're not as bad as the religious people. And somehow we can start elevating people who live a sinful, wicked life. Can I tell you something? Tax gatherers were terrible people. They were really bad When you think about a Jewish tax gatherer, they were dishonest. Remember Zacchaeus? He stole money from people. Imagine this. You're you're a Jew. The Romans come in and they dominate you. They take over your country. Picture that some foreign nation takes over the United States. And think that a number of people within 
the United States, a few American citizens, they run over first in line to this other country and they say, hey, um, I'll be your tax collector. And now we're all part of the Jewish nation. We've been taken over and a few of us become defectors and they start using the power of the people who overtook us to enslave us. I think I get to see the Jews, how upset they would be. First of all, they're dishonest. Secondly, they're getting rich by using the muscle of the Romans to take money from people. So they're going around robbing all their friends. It's kind of like some of the people during the Holocaust that would team up with like a Jewish man that would team up with the, the Nazis and then go through and actually steal from all the Jews using the power of the Nazis to do it. And then all that money that they collected, they would keep some and then they would hand off the money to the captors. So think about this. They're going to steal your money and take your money and pay a soldier to abuse you and buy a sword for that soldier so that he can kill you and kill your kids. And it's like, man, they're killing me with my own money. And this guy who's supposed to be one of, one of us is helping them do it. Man, the tax collectors were bad people. They were hated, and there was a reason that they were hated. This is not a story about how tax collectors are good. And prostitutes... You know, 1 Corinthians 6.15 says, Don't you know your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Prostitution's terrible. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you know how to control your own body in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like Gentiles who don't know God. And if people do that, it says the Lord is an avenger in these things. Or Proverbs 5, Proverbs 5 through 7, written about sexual immorality. And it just says, the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is as bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path of Sheol. She does not ponder the, light, the path of life. Her ways wander. She does not know it. And then uh, the, the, the dad giving advice to her, his kid, keep your way far from her, for a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. Um, chapter 7, verse 22, all at once he follows her as an ox to the slaughter or as a stag caught, in a, caught fast until arrows pierce its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. You know, when you look at the, what the Bible says about prostitutes, it's not complimentary. They were bad people. And the difference is, and the thing that is the key, is that they understood that they were bad. They repented. They responded to the message that John preached. And the Pharisees didn't. See, this is the key. It's not that bad people aren't bad. It's that everybody needs the grace and mercy of Jesus. And sometimes when people are religious, they actually miss out on the significant thing they need. And it's like the Pharisee who looks down on the tax collector who he won't even look to God as he's praying. And the Pharisee says, thank goodness I'm not like him. That is a devastating mistake that people make. And here's the crazy thing is that these prostitutes and Pharise uh, tax collectors that, that the Pharisees were looking down on, they were looking down on them 
And John preaches, and they see their lives transformed. You want to know something? When Zacchaeus met Jesus, he, his life was changed. He didn't keep collecting taxes. He says to Jesus, I'm going to go pay back everybody I've stolen money from. When, when Jesus called Matthew, Matthew didn't continue collecting taxes. When, when uh, Mary Magdalene came to Jesus, she did not continue as a prostitute. See, that's the thing is these Pharisees are looking down on these wicked people, but these wicked people, they hear the message, they repent, their lives are transformed. And the Pharisees don't step back and go, oh my goodness, these wicked, evil, terrible people, they come to Jesus, he forgives them, but they're not wicked and terrible anymore. Their lives have been totally changed. Wow, there is power in that message. Maybe we should reconsider. So they missed that opportunity. And, and just as a side note, that's actually part of what's wrong with so many people who say they're Christians and with so many churches that never address sin issues, that are afraid to offend anybody by saying anything about the wicked, sinful things in our culture that would be unpopular for us to address. And and so you have a, a group of people who call themselves Christians and they look no different from the world and the message is muted because they don't say anything that might offend anyone. But what God intends is that the lesson that the prostitutes and tax collectors were to the Pharisees, that's what God actually intends for us. A life transformed by Jesus Christ coming into your heart, changing your affections, and by you becoming a person who, instead of saying no to God, says yes. Okay, God, what do you say? Whatever it is, I'll do. Oh, I don't like that. Doesn't matter what God says I do. Oh, that doesn't seem like that's going to be best for me. Doesn't matter. That's what God says. That's what I'll do. That is the way Christians live their life. Is that the way you live your life? If people were to look at you, uh, what message would they get from your mouth? And what message would they get from your life? Because that's what God intends for, for us. And so Jesus just explains that to them. That had to be completely traumatizing to them when they heard that. First um, John 2, 3 says, And by this will we know that we have come to know him, Jesus, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Now, we're people who we come to Christ, we hear what he says, and we obey. And that's partly how we know whether or not we know the Lord. Now, we also know as believers, hey, we struggle. Okay, raise your hand if you always do the right thing. <laughs> okay, good, nobody's hands up. <laughs> if your hand's up, then you're one of the Pharisees. So it's good that you didn't raise your hand. Romans chapter 7, verse 14 through 28, Paul's talking about, man, I, I have this struggle with sin. I, I do these things I hate. See, as Christians, we don't become Christians. We're not saved because we do all the right things. We're saved because Jesus was good enough for us. And when we do sin, we confess that. 
we, we feel bad about it. We confess it. We ask God to forgive us. And then we just take whatever steps we need to take to change. And, and if we fail a thousand times, we repent a, a thousand times. We don't feel discouraged. We're not beat up. We don't give up. And when we see this ourselves just plagued with sinful struggles, hey, that's life. That's the life we live in. But it is so different when you're a true believer with a heart that has a desire to obey God. And that results in, in confession and repentance and change over time. So then Jesus is going to tell another parable. And this is a parable of the terrible consequences for unbelief. You know, Jesus' message was a stern warning. And, and that's one of the things that I find is interesting. Um, everybody wants to say Jesus loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life, but they stop there. When people are talking to people, they don't ever want to identify anything as sin. There's like a whole list of things that we don't want to say. Um, somebody was referring to a sermon I preached some time ago and said, yeah, I could get you on one of those hate lists. Um, let's look at this. There are terrible consequences for unbelief. Basically, total devastation for people who reject Christ. And for these Pharisees, one of the things that was so bad is they represented Christ. They stole, they tried to steal what belonged to Jesus. Let's read the next parable. So Jesus is hitting them with one parable after another. Now, you'd think that after the first one, they would not answer the question of the second one, but they do it anyway. Let's read this. Here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press and built in, it, in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went to another country. And when the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to go get his fruit and the tenants took his servants, and he beat one, and killed another, and stoned another. And again, he sent for other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. But finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir, come, let's kill him, and have his inheritance. And they and they took him, and they threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. So Jesus is going to tell that story. Again, a common story. People had vineyards. They would build them, and they would lease them to tenants and go far away. And this is just another common story. And Jesus, again, is going to ask, I'll just point out who some of these people are. And I think you probably all know who all these people are in this parable. You know what it all represents, right? Now, it's because we've heard it before. But the master of the house, that's God. He's the master of the house. He builds everything. He pays for everything. And at a certain point, he demands what belongs to him. So um, I just think this is kind of funny. I mean, a lot of people will do this. Um, kids can be this way. Renters can be this way. I just moved out of a house that I was renting. And the thing, the entire time I lived in that house, I remembered, I can't just paint these walls whatever color I want. These are not my walls. And I, there's things I might want to change or do different, but this is not mine. And when I moved out, I had to think to myself, um, I took pictures when I moved in. And so when I moved out, I could leave everything exactly the way it was when I got there because it's not mine. 
but you could see people who might start to think incorrectly. Hey, this is my house. I live in it. I pay the utilities. I'm giving, him, I'm giving this person money. I can do whatever I want. This is mine. He'd tell me what to do, and this isn't fair anyway. Why is he so rich? He owns so many houses. How come I don't have a house? And people start to have that type of mindset, and they start to lay claim on something that wasn't theirs. They didn't pay for it. They didn't build it. They just moved into something that was already there, and they're supposed to pay for the use of it. So many people function and think in that way. So this happens. Now, the vineyard is Israel. You can look at Isaiah 5, and it's kind of a cool comparison between this parable and something God tells. The tenants are the Jewish leaders and the Jewish nations, and the prophets that kept getting sent, the, the, the servants, those are the prophets all through the Old Testament that God would send to give a message. And the nation of Israel would beat some, stone some, and kill others. And finally, he sends his son. That's Jesus. And when they see Jesus, they say, let's kill him and take from him for ourselves. That's what the religious leaders were doing. And um, so he's going to go on and he's going to then explain. Let's look at this. When, the, when therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And without understanding what this story is about, they answer. And they said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death. There's a play on words there. It's like he'll put those wretches to a wretched death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him give him the fruits in their season. They're like, you're not going to trick us with this. We know how this is supposed to end. And they're not too happy when they actually hear Jesus's connection and evaluation. And he basically tells them, you're right. That is exactly what is going to happen. There is personally devastating consequences for those Pharisees. You know, Jesus says in Luke eleven forty three, he says, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greeting in the marketplaces. The Pharisees, he just says, you are going to be judged because you want glory. You want credit. Who deserves all glory and all credit? God. Um, after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, uh, they say, okay, so the chief priests and Pharisees, John eleven forty seven, they gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs, talking about Jesus. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe him. <laughs> You'd say, well, yeah, he's doing signs. Of course everybody should believe him, and so should you. And, and then they say, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Oh, they're going to take away our position of authority, and they're going to take away our nation. Was it their nation? Did authority belong to them? Like this is such an exact thing that the Pharisees did. They said, I'm going to grab a hold of what belongs to God and I am going to take it for myself and I will kill Jesus to get it. And what's interesting is in Jesus' story, he even says, and you're going to throw the son out of the gate and kill him. You want to know what they did to Jesus when they crucified him? They took him outside of the gate of Jerusalem and then they killed him. Like all the details of this, they're exactly what happens with Jesus. So they end up condemning themselves. And Jesus is going to say this in 
Matthew chapter tw- uh, 21, verse 42. Let's just read this. And he's going to point them back to Scripture. Now, the triumphal entry, he quotes Psalm 118, which is where everybody's saying, um, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And they're saying, don't, don't say that. You've got to stop that. They're praising Jesus, quoting Psalm 118. And here he's going to quote the ra- some more from Psalm 118. And he's just basically saying to them, you study the Scriptures. They point to me. They talk about how great I am. And you know what? This is about me, and you should know it, and you're not recognizing Scripture. And so this is what he says. He says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it was marvelous in our eyes. You know, Jesus was that precious cornerstone. Um, He was that perfect stone on which everything is built. You know, you just think about these are Jewish leaders. They're supposed to be the builders. But the reality is they're terrible builders because they look at what's amazing and beautiful and perfect and they throw it away. Like, could you imagine you hire a contractor? Hey, I need you to come build a door frame in my house. And he goes over and he grabs his two by four and it's perfectly straight and it's not warped. And so he grabs this piece of wood and he goes, nah, that's terrible. He tosses it. And then he gets this other thing. It's all full of knots. It's twisted and all that stuff. We'll use this one. You would just say, oh, my goodness, you have no idea what you're even looking at. And Jesus says, you're the builders, but you are rejecting the precious cornerstone, which is him. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruit. This right here is how the, the, the nation of Israel is going to be set to, to the side. And God still has a future for Israel. Uh, we're going to see that. We'll see that in Matthew 24. And Jesus is going to come back. When you read the book of Revelation, it's all about God restoring Israel. There's a lot in the Old Testament about how this is going to happen. But Jesus sets the Jewish nation to the side. And he gives the, he gives the vineyard to a new people. That is the church. That's you and me. And so Israel's been set to the side right now. God is working through the church. And in Romans chapter 9, it just says of the church, it says, don't get arrogant toward, is, toward Israel. Uh, for now, a partial hardening has come. They have been set to the side for a time. But they're the natural branches. They are the root. You are a wild olive branch. You have been grafted in. But don't get arrogant toward those natural branches. They were broken off for unbelief, and I'll break you off for unbelief. See, there's, there's a lesson here about the nation of Israel, but I would just say this. There's a lesson here for you and me. Um, as the church, as a church foothills, but also as the church as a whole, if we do what the Jewish leaders did, then that will happen to us. There are so many local churches who go, yeah, I don't really care what God says. I'm going to come up with my own message. We're going to change things around. We're going to do something different. You want to know something? You will be tossed to the side. Um, I, I, I care less about whether everybody's happy coming to Foothills. Oh, well, what, what can we do to our message to get as many people here as possible? I care more about being faithful to God. Uh, to train, to teach, to proclaim the truth. This is God's church He will build it. It's not my job to come up with some new idea for how we can make everything better. It's just our job to be faithful. Paul says to Timothy, find faithful men 
train faithful men who will teach others. God wants us to be faithful. We need to look at this and say, God set aside Israel. Now, God's not going to set aside the church as a whole. God has a plan, but there's local churches all over the place who have been set aside. There are nations that God used to work through, and because they compromised, they've been set aside. You know, at one point, Europe used to send missions, missionaries to everyone. Well, guess what? You've got to send missionaries now to Europe. We used to send missionaries to China. China's praying about sending some missionaries to the United States. You know, it's interesting. We pray for the persecuted church in China. There's people I've heard about in China praying that persecution will come to the United States because of what's happening to the church. And it goes on, and this is something that's powerful for you and I to think about what Jesus says about himself. Um, Verse 43, therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Okay, that stone is Jesus. If you fall on Jesus, you will break. And if Jesus falls on you, you will be crushed. But we live in a world where we think, oh, no, we have power. I have power. Um, Jesus, you're my servant. I tell you what you're like. You don't tell me what to be like. And Jesus just says, no, I, I am the rock. I am an ultimate authority. And if you reject me, if you deny me, if you come up with your own things, you will be crushed. The message of Jesus is awesome. I I love you. Come to me, all who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That is an amazing message. But the other side of that is, you shake your fist in my face, you rebel against me, you will be destroyed. And it's amazing how we are in a church in the United States in general that has just so diluted and whitewashed and stripped the message of Scripture. And we wonder why we have so many problems. That's just crazy. And it says this in verse 46, and although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they had held him to be a prophet. See, the Pharisees, the Pharisees' power came from their popularity. When you think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing in front of King Nebuchadnezzar's furnace, when the king said, I am so powerful, I destroy everybody, I tell you, bow down and worship to my idol, and if you don't, I'm throwing you in the furnace. Did they sit around and go, "Um, okay, where are our fans? They just said, "Uh, actually, Pharaoh, we're not bound down to your idol because God's more powerful than you, and you say he can't save us. Yes, he can. And actually, we don't even care if he does save us because we're not worshiping. So go ahead, throw us in. We'll die or not, but we're not worshiping you. Why? Their power didn't come from the crowds. It came from God himself, that rock, that cornerstone. And I just would, like, this is a question for us. You know, who do you fear? Who are you loyal to? Where do you think your power, strength, and ability comes from? Your care, your protection. Who has your heart? 
you know, obeying Christ, it's not like we're trying to earn salvation or be good enough. Jesus did that for us. But the question is, where's your heart? So I, um, on the 26th, uh, just a few days ago, there's a church in Manhattan that sent up a tweet. <laughs> I just want to show it to you because I just want to prove that this really happened. It was at 6.23. Somebody woke up at 6.23 a.m. from some church so that they could tweet this. God cares infinitely more about making sure that everyone has food, shelter, and health care than accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Like, this is a church. Now, the first comment, the very first comment was a guy who says, have you ever read the Bible? <laughs> but I just, this is the verse that they need to re- read. I'll show it to you. It just says, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul? Or what will a man give in return for his soul? See, it's pretty hard because even in the Christian church, we can look around and we can hear this kind of message and we can sometimes get confused and think that that's what we're here for. And what we need to know instead is that God loves us, um, but he offers terms of surrender. And it's terms of total unconditional surrender. And that's for our good. That brings us blessings. It brings us friendship. It brings us peace. Um, And if you don't, then destruction. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says this, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? By the way, that needs to be a powerful message of the church. God's riches of, of his kindness and forbearance and patience. One of the things I think is funny is in the church, um, we can preach a message about kindness, forbearance, and patience, but we nitpick people for stupid things. Uh, you think you, I should wear a mask. I don't think you should wear a mask. You know, sometimes it's how that happens. Um, political things, um, all kinds of logistical things. We can get mad at our neighbors because they park in front of our house or their dog goes to the bathroom on our lawn. Like, what are this? ridiculous things that we can have conflict over when we're supposed to be communicating a message of kindness, forbearance, patience. We're supposed to be living that out to each other, and we're supposed to be living it out to the world. And so we're supposed to be showing that side of God's grace. But what's amazing is we will fight with anybody over things that are really stupid. Um, Churches have all kinds of conflict with each other, power plays, all kinds of things where they just disregard scripture, do what they want, and there's all kinds of church splits, divisions, all that kind of stuff. Now, wait a second. We preach the kindness, forbearance, and patience of God, and we're supposed to live that out with each other and to our community. And then that that same church that wants to preach the message of love, they're not very loving. And then when it comes to the other things that God says, they just wipe that message right out. Let's not say that. That'll make people mad. Hey, I'll yell at my neighbor because his dog crapped on my lawn. But I I probably shouldn't have said that. Um, (laughs) Went to the bathroom on my lawn. I apologize. Uh, You can delete that for the kids. Um, We'll fight with our neighbor over that. But we don't want to offend them by saying what Jesus says about eternity. It goes on and it says, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath 
when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. We don't strip down the message and we don't water it down. And we're not like the Pharisees when we're talking to people. Hmm, I want to say this, but that might make them mad. Well, I like to say, oh, but that might make them mad. That's not what we do. When we talk to people, we just think, what's true? And then in a loving, gracious, kind, thoughtful way, we tell people the truth. And we know what's true by what God says. You know, this whole thing of understanding the gospel and an approach to the life and the way we think about life, it's something that if you don't preach it to yourself, you will never preach it to others. And, and I think churches that don't deliver a good message is because the people there actually have not personally accepted the right message. And so think about this. If you don't preach it to yourself, you won't preach it to others. And here's the next thing is that if you do preach it to yourself, you're going to preach it to your kids. I mean, if you don't explain these things to your own kids, who would you explain it to? I mean, are you saying you love your neighbor more than you love your own kids? Um, If you really care about your kids, you're going to teach them this. You'll preach it to yourself. You're going to preach it to your kids. And then when you come to church, you're going to preach this stuff in church. Hey, if you can't say it to a friendly crowd, you are not going to go say it in a place where things are hostile. But when you love and when you have embraced this message, when it's real in your family, when you've seen it work its way out in the church and the power that it has in the the church's life, man, you are going to happily take this, this message to a lost and dying world and you'll be willing to offend your neighbors with the truth and you will ignore what their dog is doing on your lawn because you will see life for what it is. You'll see the true priorities, the spiritual priorities in life. So let's pray. Lord, I just ask that you would help us as a a church family to see the gospel as so attractive that we would share it in its truth to everyone. Lord, if it is unattractive to us and if we don't think anybody would be attracted to it, Lord, change our hearts. Help us to see Jesus for who he is and then take the message of who he is to the people that you love. In your name, amen.